Would you please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? If uh, I've said this before, so I don't know what this is worth. It's probably worth the, the lint in my pocket right now that I'm, I'm feeling. Um, I, I think if I had to preach one message, it would be this one. It, it, because it just incorporates the gospel. It is an evangelistic message. It is a message for all of us. It is a message for those of us who have the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But it is also for those of you that are visiting and those of you that have come here and you've, you've not yet really maybe understood all that it means to come to this person called Jesus Christ. And, and, and in so doing, there are a lot of uh, misinformation about Christianity. A lot centers around what church do you belong to and what denomination are you and how good of a person are you and and what we're going to find out from today, from Paul, is that it, none of these things really are at issue. What is at issue is our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. We have come in, in, Gen, in Genesis, in Ex, Exodus. What am I doing here? I'll get to it eventually. Genesis, Exodus, no. We've come to Ephesians chapter 2, the very essence of what Christianity is truly all about. We saw last week in verse 1, that Paul reminds us that we were all dead in our transgressions, in our trespasses, and in our sins. And as we said, the word dead means to be spiritually dead, helpless, hopeless before a holy God because of sin that naturally, we learn from Scripture, separates us from an almighty God. And so the words trespass and sin we learned last week, accuses every single one of us because we are all in desperate need of this life and we are all in desperate need of a Savior so that we might have this life. Because the word trespass, we learned last week, means to sin accidentally. Didn't mean to. Really didn't mean to do wrong. Yet the Bible says, because of that, we are we are not able to stand righteously before a holy and righteous God. But also the word sinned means to purposely miss the mark of God. And so verse 4, as we mentioned last week, those two words, but God, shows us exactly where the solution for our spiritual death and this dilemma that we are under is found. Two powerful words, but God. You see, unless God moves upon the scene, unless God comes to our assistance, we are unable to change from death to life. We're helpless without God intervening. And so read with me, and we're going to go over it again, verses 1 through 10, some of the greatest words of hope that you will find in all of Scripture Paul has just prayed for us, and so he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, 
being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, In order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. We close with verse 10 saying, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The whole picture of our faith is wrapped up in these verses. The whole idea of who you and I are in Christ Jesus is mentioned in these verses. And the aftermath of our faith is seen in verse 10. Almighty God has prepared work for you and me to walk in. He's already prepared us, already prepared the work for us. All He asks is for us to have an obedient heart to do what God has called us to do within our own lives. And by the way, for each one of us here, that call could be different. It could be a different depth. It could be a different passion. It could be just different. God doesn't want to take you and, and, and cookie cutter you into the to, to, to we all look alike, that everybody's all excited or everybody's all laid back. We are, we are who we are. God has chosen you just as you are to make an impact for the cause of Christ, to do any number of things. He's prepared these things for and you, for you and me, beforehand. All He asks us to be is faithful to walk in them. But before any and all of that happens, there must be a touch of our hearts to salvation. I mean true salvation. Salvation that is biblical-led. Salvation that is mentioned of within the Word of God. Not our idea, not a church's idea, not a denomination's idea, but what is God's idea for your and my salvation. That is the same for every and every single one of us. Let's see what God has to say to your heart and my heart as we go through these ten verses. Would you pray with me, please? I beg of you. Father, I beg of you that you would come down and minister to each one of our hearts this day. Would you move me aside, dear Father? Let us see these wonderful verses that Paul penned that were given from your heart to his so that he might write these, these words to a, a, a circular letter to the churches of that day that they all might understand what is the hope of your calling within each of our hearts and so that we might know exactly what it is and exactly what it means to know and to love you. Father, you've demonstrated who you are in chapter 1. We see that you, you call us to be secure in our faith, assuring us of who we are. 
But more importantly, in assuring us of who we are, you assure us of who you are, that in the past you have taken care of us. You have come to call us to be holy and blameless positionally before you because of your Son. In the present, you have given us your Son who who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and then rose from the dead three days later so that in the present time we might have the very essence of the forgiveness of our sins and salvation pure. And then, Father, you've taken care of us in the future by God the Holy Spirit who who has sealed us, Father, who has given us His seal. And He, Father God, will care for each and every single one of us. Lord, we ask your blessings upon this time that we study your word. Would you please, as I have said, Father, move me aside. This is a time that we need to hear from your heart to each one of us. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Okay, let's talk about this place in Scripture. In verse 4, all hope of mankind is brought to light. There are two power-packed words, but God. You see, in verse 4, God, being rich, it says, in His mercy, and of all the good news we can get, that He also loves us with this great love of His. You see, God's great love and God's rich mercy brought Him to the solution for our being dead in our transparency. Uh, trespasses, trespasses and our sins. Perhaps the most famous verse in all of Scripture is in John chapter 3 and verse 16. You already know it, I'm pretty sure. We are told about this love of God. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever might believe in Him should not perish, but what? Have ever lasting life. That is just great news. That is the transformation of death to life. God so loved you and me that it it moved Him to give His only begotten Son so that He might shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that we would not perish. We would have eternal life. God's great love for us moved him to his rich mercy as he sacrificed his only son for the forgiveness of our sin. Made us from dead, spiritually dead, to alive, spiritually alive. If you look at verse 5, we see that while we were yet dead in our transgressions, he, God, made us alive together with Christ By grace we have been saved. Above everything else, what a dead person needs, of course, is life. That's exactly what salvation gives to you and to me. Life, that is spiritual, eternal life. We don't need to turn back there, but way back in Genesis, the start of Scripture, Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve sinned against God. Remember, God told Adam, look, I want you to take care of this garden. You see all these trees in this garden, Adam? They're all for you except that one tree, Adam. 
That one tree is not for you. If you eat from that tree, as it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, if you eat from that tree, you shall surely what, Adam? Die. He told him so. Adam, all of these trees are yours. Look, that one tree. Don't touch it. Couldn't you not just see Adam? I mean, he's not any different than all of us. That now is the only tree he can see. Tempted. Tempted. And so then God said to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you a helper suitable for you. Someone who will compliment you, Adam. Someone who will complete you as a being. I'm going to give you a woman. And the woman came upon the scene and she was enticed by Satan and they ate. They ate. Adam and Eve ate from that tree and they died But as we read in Scripture in Genesis, they didn't die physically. They died spiritually. And I'll I'll show you what happened. It is is exactly what happens when we are spiritually dead. There is a separation that comes between us and God. After eating the fruit, mankind immediately did something. Do you remember? Well, they sewed fig leaves together because they saw all of a sudden that they were naked. And then they heard, they heard the very footprints of God, footsteps of God, walking in the cool of the day. And what did they do? What did they do in that garden? They hid. They hid from God, the very one that has given them life, the very one that sustains them, the very one that gives them the very essence of of all that they are and all that they have. They hid from him. And he asked them, why are you hiding? Have you eaten from the tree which I told you not to eat from? And Of course, the man said, the woman that you gave me. Uh, I wasn't sold on her from the very beginning. <laughs> and then she was, said, Satan, Satan tempted me and I, I ate. They separated themselves from God because of sin. And that's what sin does. It doesn't allow you to have the, you and me to have the pure relationship that we ought to have with God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. This pure, wonderful relationship that we are privileged to have with God Almighty. You know, in Romans 6.23, we are told the wages of sin is death. Yep. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Spiritual life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I I really challenge any of us to look through Scripture and find a denomination or a religious belief that gives out the very essence of of spiritual life. You you can't find eternal life within a church or, or within a religion. Oh yeah, we can preach it. But you can come here until you're blue in your face and you will not find eternal life apart from what is written in this Word so that you might understand what is truly this essence of, of, of eternal life that is offered to me. How, how might I know that I am secure with my God? How can we know this? The only place you and I will ever find within Scripture that talks about everlasting life is all wrapped around God's Son, Jesus Christ. 
And so if we look back at verse 5, we see very naturally written, when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together where? With Christ, by grace. God's unmerited favor, grace. You and I have been saved. There's no church. There's no denomination mentioned here. Just Jesus Christ. So Paul ends verse 5 with a statement he will build upon in verses 8 and 9. He said, by grace, you and I have been saved. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We'll talk about it in a moment. But let's first look at verse 6. Once we come to believe in Jesus Christ, we immediately have this awesome gift that has been given to us by God. Paul reminds us that we have been, verse 6, raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places, all done, of course, because we are in Christ Jesus. Let's think back just for a moment. In chapter 1 and verse 11, we were told that the Greeks had a statement, a a saying which meant when they spoke of future events that they were certain was going to happen, they would call the word E-K-L-E-R-O-T-H-E-M-E-N. It is in verse 11, we have obtained. It is a statement of fact. It is speaking of an upcoming event as if it had already occurred In in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to God's purpose, according to God's will. He, God, did it all for us. Well, here in chapter 2, in verse 6, Paul says to those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation, they have obtained it as though it has already taken place and cannot fail. We are again being assured that right now we are raised up with Him. We are seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. As far as God is concerned, folks, your trust in Jesus Christ will give you right now the assurance of His Word and His promises of eternal life. He makes you right now spiritually alive and He has given His life to every single one of us who have placed our faith and trust in His Son and what His Son has done for us upon the cross and also upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given us that privilege. Remember Paul's prayer. Look look back at chapter 1 with me just for a moment. Paul says in verse 18, part of his prayer is he says, I want to pray that the eyes of your hearts, that is the very core of your and my knowledge, the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened so that we might know what is the hope of his calling. And verse 19 tells us what is the surpassing greatness of, note, his power towards you and me who believe. And this power of God is displayed in verse 20. 
all in Jesus Christ when He, the Father, raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, when Paul penned these words, a circular letter that went to all the churches in Asia Minor, not just Ephesus, when he penned these words in chapter 2 and verse 6, both he and those he wrote to had not yet entered into this glorious experience. They were all still, of course, alive. But nonetheless, the Greek language in chapter 2 and verse 6 allows us to read this and act upon it as if they had already been raised, already had been seated in the heavenly places. Positionally, they were pure. Positionally, they were holy and blameless. Positionally, they were seated with God in the heavenly places right now just as you and I are. That same truth holds true for you and me today. At least those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can hold on to these same truths. You and I can hold on to these same promises of God today. And if you want to, would you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We're going to look at 1 Peter 1, 4. It's just one verse. Last night, I think I made a mistake by... Just saying, you don't have to turn to it, you can look at it later. And when I read it, I thought, man, if, if, if I was new in my study of the Word of God, I'd want to be in this place in Scripture so that I could underline this verse. Or I could start, or I could do whatever it is within my Bible that would remind me of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Peter echoes the same thoughts that Paul has echoed. Peter is saying these things have taken place as if it's already happened. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 that we shall obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. It is undefiled. It will not fade away. Because, Peter says, right now it is reserved in heaven for you. When you and I go to stand before God, we won't have an entourage of people around us. We will be by ourselves and we will walk there and the Lord God will say, Welcome, I have a place reserved just for you. That's what he's saying. This, this place that heaven has been reserved for you. You see, this place is reserved for us. This place in heaven isn't some far off Pipe dream. Not by the Word of God it isn't. By the Word of God it is a promise. It is a, it is a truism that you and I can actually hold on to. Not only does Paul assure us of that, but Peter says this place is imperishable. This place in heaven, it's, indefi- it's undefiled. It, it's not going to fade away. It's reserved just for you. Now why? Why do we receive such a blessing? Now this is important to really grasp verse 7. It's kind of a, a, a neat little verse, but um, look, look at verse 7 back in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes, it, it, here's why this you have been raised. Here's why you are seated with the Lord God in heaven right now in Christ Jesus. In order that, it says in verse 7, in order that in the ages to come, in other words, in eternity, as eternity rolls itself out, God might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards those of us 
who are in Christ Jesus. We are going to be on display. And there are going to be some of us there in heaven that people say, I never dreamt that he would make it. I never dreamt that she was going to be here too. And we will be on display for everyone to see the kindness of God through His grace to those of us who are like Paul, wretched human beings, that without a Savior we had no hope. So God is going to allow us to be there in order that in the ages to come He's going to show His surpassing riches of grace and kindness towards you and me who are in Christ Jesus. The phrase, in order that, shows us that God's purpose for our being blessed by God Almighty happens because of His kindness. You see, from the moment you and I chose to to come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. God has never stopped pouring out His blessings, His grace, His mercy, His kindness. And it will happen forever. As it says in verse 7, until the ages to come. In other words, that's another way of saying eternally God will bless and bless and re-bless you and me over and over and over again. Because God shall be glorified eternally as He displays His kindness towards you and me. That is, verse 7, all of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now two of the most powerful verses concerning salvation within the Word of God is written in verses 8 and 9. In verse 8 we are told, For by grace you have been saved. Through what? Through what? Well, you can read it, but through what? Think it, through your church? Through a particular denomination? Through your being good enough? Through the things that you do, the deeds, the works of kindness? No, no. They come. Grace saves you and me through faith. And now note the rest of verse 8. It's not of yourself. It's not. It's not of yourself. It is a... Now, this is amazing, this verse. It is what? God says it is, it's a gift. I'm just going to give it to you here. You have trusted in my son. You have listened to what I said concerning my son. You believe what he did upon the cross. You, you allowed his blood to stand for the forgiveness of your sin. Here, I want to give you in a gift, and it is called eternal life. Not getting that gift, ooh, It's hot. It's hell. Literally, it is hell. Paul doesn't make mention of that. He mentions upon the very gift of God, the grace that has saved us through faith and and not of ourselves. It's God's gift. Why? Well, let me first say that grace is defined as, as an unearned act that has been given by God to a believer It is God's unmerited favor. You might think, I don't know if I deserve all this kindness. And and God says, you're right. You don't deserve it. I give it to you because of my kindness. I give it to you because I love you. I give it to you because I'm rich in mercy. I give it to you because I choose to give it to you as a gift 
And so since salvation, your being saved, my being saved, comes through faith, really that means through our trust in what is written within these pages. You can't take anyone's word for what is true salvation. You can't take my words for what is true salvation. You can't take anyone's words for what is true salvation, no matter what church you might belong to. You can't take the person's words for what is true salvation. You've got to take God's word upon it. You've got to trust what God has said concerning His Son and concerning salvation and concerning the forgiveness of your and by sin. So therefore, what God is saying in verse 8 is this salvation is unearned as far as we're concerned. God must give it to us, and we must get it through faith. And it is a gift that He wants to give you and me. And verse 9 tells us it's, it's not a, a result of works. In other words, you can't have enough money to pay your way in. You can't do enough good. You do not have enough goodness within you to fulfill all the goodness that is needed to go and to be with God in heaven. If... If you did, then God wouldn't have had to sacrifice His Son. What a payment. Think about it for a moment. If by the, if the wildest stretch of your imagination, I lock all of these doors, and I say, nobody leaves until I say you leave, and for you to walk through that door, you have to tell me, I love your son, John Mark. That's all you have to do. Just tell me. I love your son, John Mark. And you think about that. You don't know if you love my son, John Mark, enough. And so you're going to say, I loved your daughter, Cassie. Oh, yeah, well, go on. No, 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 you don't get to set the rules. I told you what you must say. I made the rules. And you're not getting out of here until you tell me you love John Mark. Because I set the rules. And Jesus Christ, no, excuse me, God the Father said, you can be saved, you can be given this eternal life, but it comes through my Son, Jesus Christ. You've got to trust what He did upon the cross for you. You've got to believe that the blood that He shed was for you. And so many religious believers say, you know, that's, whoa, wow, that's narrow-minded, God. There's got to be other ways. I've been a pretty good guy here, you know. I've watched that pastor friend of yours, John Werhaus, claiming he's a, he's a Christian. I'm a better man than he has ever thought to be. And you see, he's going to think, this man's going to think, that he's going to get judged by God by how good he is compared to someone else. And he's not going to get there that way. He's going to get to God's heart by trusting in his son, not comparing himself to me. And do you know why? Do you know why God says it's not a result of things that you and I can do of works? Look at verse 9. So that none of us could what? Oh man, does He know us. He knows good and well that we would say, you know, God, it's a good thing I did all this so that I could be entered into your heaven here because I kind of helped you out, didn't I? I mean, people think that way. Think that they've done something, anything, that might give them some credit before God so that they might walk into heaven itself. No, God says, that, no, no, it's not a result of anything you did so that you won't boast. I don't want you boasting. 
When I'm displaying you for all eternity of my kindness, I don't want any of you yelling, but I did something. No, you did nothing. You've had faith in my son. That's what you've done. You see, verses 8 and 9 assure us of two very rock-solid things. Number one, your faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you. Not any of your good deeds, not anything that you've done, not, not anything that you could do to earn your way to have eternal life so that you won't boast before ma- man and God. Secondly, verses 8 and 9 were written so that you and I might realize that nothing... Let me repeat that. Nothing that we do apart from Jesus Christ can save any one of us. Not a thing. Salvation is God's gift to us, given in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Period. It doesn't come through a church membership. It doesn't come through a denomination or being baptized or confirmed. It doesn't come through giving money to charity or to a church by being a good neighbor or loving everybody or by any other acts of kindness. It's not even comes to you by keeping the Ten Commandments because the Bible says you can't. It's not through taking communion or living out the Sermon on the Mount, which is a way of life. You see, the reason it doesn't come through any of these factions is because none of those factions really mean anything apart from loving and knowing Jesus Christ. The only thing that you and I can do is have a part in our own salvation is to exercise our faith in what Jesus Christ has already done for us. And that is, He died on the cross at Calvary. And more importantly, He raised Himself from the dead to give all who would believe in Him everlasting, eternal, spiritual life. To move us from death to life. It's your faith. Your faith accepts the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Jesus himself says in John chapter 5, now you really don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but I'll probably finish it before you get there. He said, listen closely. He said to the religious leaders of their day, they were trying to figure out what is this thing called everlasting life? How can we be with God in heaven? And Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is in these, he says, the Bible that bears witness of me. And yet, he says, you are unwilling to come to me that you might have life. You see, you can read and read and read this book. But until you come to trust and believe what God has said through this book, you'll fall short. It is faith and trust in Christ that is everything to your life and my life. If true salvation came through this church or any, any other church, we would then take away from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and God will not permit that for you nor for me. True salvation comes from faith and trust in Christ And He and He alone, and it's done by grace, God's unmerited favor who gives us a gift of eternal life because we decided to trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that you and I can do that has not already been done by Christ when He was here on this earth. 
That's salvation. After salvation comes verse 10. After you and I have accepted Christ, then we are God's workmanship. That means poem. We are His. We are on display for all to see. We have been created, it says in verse 10, in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. That's Now's the time. If you've trusted in Christ, now is the time to serve the Lord. Find a place that you feel comfortable, that you can honor the Lord through what you do for Him as a believer. Because then and there you know that isn't what saves you. Christ saves you. What you do just glorifies God through your spiritual gift. But note, it says in verse 10, God has already prepared beforehand something that you should walk in. You don't have to wonder about what it is you ought to do. God already is aware of it. He has already got something planned for you. He's got something planned for every single one of us. A young man came up to me last night and said, what is it for me? What is it that he's got planned? And he told me a little bit of his dilemma. And I said to him, here's what God has planned for you as far as I can see it, but I'm not God. But this is what I see. Wait. Wait. God will just show you. I told him the, 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 the best quality I have as a believer is I, wasn't, I didn't have great vision. I didn't... I didn't see way out there. I was like, what, what I would consider myself a plow horse in the family of God. Got my head down, and I just take one step at a time. And I say, oh, yeah, that's a good step. Okay, oh, that's good too. And there are those out there, there is those out there that can see far ahead. I never could. And so I didn't even know that I wanted to be a pastor. I, I, I dreamt about it, but it was a pipe dream. There's no way I could be a pastor. And I spent 12, 13 years learning and studying the Word of God, preparing, the Lord preparing my heart to one day be a pastor. And those 13 years were not a burden to me because I wasn't saying, today, is it today, God? No, it's not. Today? And all of a sudden you lose hope after a month. I had 13 years. And it was no problem because I was content doing what I was doing at that time for the Lord. And that was serving Him in the... In the, in the ballparks. It was fine for me because I was just doing this. And it was fine. And for some of you, you're dreamers. And I say to you that sometimes you're going to have to wait to hear what it is that God has for you. And for some of you who are dreamers, that's hard to wait. Just know this, that God has prepared something for you that you should walk in them. In the meantime... The only thing I advised that young person last night was just get busy doing something for the Lord. The Lord will move you as He so desires in that process. Jesus Christ said in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified. How? How is your Father glorified? He says that you bear much fruit. And in so doing, He says in John 15, 8, you'll prove to be a disciple of mine. See, once we come to know Christ as our Savior, then God has things for us to do. And I am saddened for any of you here that, that just don't have the time to serve the Lord. 
I think one day when you stand before Him, you're going to wish that you spent a little more time serving Him than whatever it is that you spent not serving Him. Now, I'm not here to put a guilt trip on anyone. I'm not. I'm here to encourage you, though. I'm here to to get you and me to see that there are things that we ought to do, but first things first. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but perhaps you thought it was your church that did it for you, or perhaps you thought it was your faithful attendance that, that got you to stand in the presence of God and be accepted by Him, or if you thought it was the things that you have done that helped you to be this believer in Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm going to ask you today, on August the 16th, the year 2009, to take all of those things and put them aside and know and trust that there is absolutely nothing that you have done that has given you eternal life. It is just what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross at Calvary and that you would place your faith and trust in nothing else purely in Him and He alone this day, August the 16th, the year 2009. I want you to be pure in who you are in Christ. I don't want you or me to take any credit for anything we do that might make God like us. I want you to purely and simply trust in what Christ has done for you. And God says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that none of us, none of us, should ever dream about boasting that we're a believer because of something we have done. We are a believer totally because of what Christ has done for us. Our part is pure and simple. It is faith. That's it. And so I'd ask uh, guys to dim the lights a little bit. I want a time of reflection. We um, don't have a lot of time left, but we have enough. And I want you to just take this time to maybe reflect. Are you holding on to something that you think that you've done to make God happy with you? (laughs) No, He's happy with His Son. Trust in His Son and His Son alone. And that trust in His Son will give you everlasting life. And it has already prepared a place reserved in heaven for you. It is a done deal. It's yours. Just trust in Jesus. For those of you that have done that, think about what you can do to honor God through serving Him. Look for those things that He has prepared beforehand for you so that you might walk in them. Well, Father, it's only been a minute, but um, it's amazing how how, uh, slowly time goes when we uh, just are quiet. Father, I pray that uh, each of us might understand the importance of your Son, how much you love him.
how much you rely upon him for our salvation. You have made it crystal clear. You have told us by grace we have been saved. And that is through faith. Faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Not anything we have done. There's nothing we bring to the table apart from your Son. And once we do that, Father, you give us as a gift, a gift from heaven itself, eternal life. Lord, may we honor you with the pure, simplistic trust in what you have done, nothing that we have done. But once we've come to believe and trust in your Son, may we then serve you, Father. May we then be created in Christ Jesus for good works, things that you have prepared beforehand so that we might just purely walk in them. Thank you, Father, for your kindness. From every one of us here, Father, we, we shout really in our spirit, hallelujah, we just love you so much. You have taken all of the burden off of every single one of us. You have placed it upon, firmly upon your shoulders. May we trust in what you have done for us. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you guys more than life itself. Thank you for being here. And have a great, great week. Have a great week. Love you very much. Hey, thank you. Thank you. <laughs>